You're listening to the History Bridge Network. Letters from My Old Man, hosted by Lawrence Sanji. Hello and welcome back to Letters from My Old Man. Today we're going to have three readings from Veronica in March 1945. Saturday, March 3rd, 1945. My dearest Mike, it's Saturday night, I'm having a cup of coffee, compliments of the army, and listening to the hit parade. Lawrence Tibbet has replaced Frank Sinatra, but he is definitely as out of place on this program as Frankie would be at the Met. I do miss listening to the opera broadcasts. For some unknown reason, Clarksburg Station has discontinued this Saturday afternoon highlight, and it's almost inaudible on Doc's radio, the reception being only good towards the evening. Mom and Rosalie aren't exactly opera lovers, so it's just as well. I must get our radio unpacked and give it another workout. As of yet, I haven't replaced the worn tubes, but slowly and surely I'll get around to doing all the things I should have attended two months ago. Received your February 20th air letter, plus the seven negatives. You didn't mention the above in your writings, but I will have an extra set developed for you, just in case you do want to see the results. You mentioned constructing another tent with a solid floor. Will you be its sole occupant? This is your third home, and maybe a more permanent one, that is, if you believe in things happening in threes. I often unroll the sketch of your tent on the hill, and somehow it always looks inviting. Bet it was the bed, wasn't it? Ernie Pyle's column appears daily in our morning papers, and since you are always constructing an abode of some type, I just thought I'd enclose this clipping for comparison. We, Mom, Rosalie, and I, all enjoy his writings very much. He is a down-to-earth human interest writer, often referring to that gal, his wife, and our White House in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He is a skinny little man, only weighing 118 pounds, and calls himself ugly. Being at present out your way, you may someday see the little character. Do you like your Bulova watch as well as the Gruen? If you should desire any particular serviceable band, just write and I'll forward several of the same. Last week, I saw Keep of the Kingdom, and it was very inspiring and well portrayed. As is always the case, I expected much more having read the book, but then that wasn't the cinema's defaults. Do you have movies at your present setup, or maybe radio, or am I taking too much for granted? I still look like I am Egyptian mummy through the chest, and other than there being sensitive, all is well at 520. Always, your mics. P.S. Have you been receiving the news review? They are sent out weekly. On the first letter from Veronica on March 3rd, she mentions her love for the opera where her mother and sister were not great lovers. But it also shows how my mother spent a number of years in New York City going to the opera with her then boyfriend, Mike. Midway through my mother's letter from March 3rd, she mentions reading Ernie Pyle's column daily in the morning papers. And she says it was enjoyable to read. Well, here's a thought. Ernie Pyle wrote from the boot of Italy about being a soldier. 
he spent his time with the 133rd Infantry Regiment of the 34th Division. It just so happens that Michael in the Philippines had a first cousin, Anthony Butch, we call him, in the 135th Infantry Regiment of the Red Bull Division. So every place that Ernie Pyle went, Butch was there. Just a little family connection. And I highly recommend, if you can catch the film, Ernie Pyle, the story of G.I. Joe, it fleshes it all out. And that was filmed in 1945. Sunday, March 4th, 1945. My dearest Mike, Sunday afternoon's radio programs are always very soothing, enhanced by the most beautiful of music. One program features Lewis Calhoun as host, and his voice is as appealing as Victor Jory's. Another three-quarter hour program features Patrice Munsell, Metropolitan's youngest star and soprano, only 20 years of age, who possesses a beautiful, clear voice. The latter program varies its music from modern jazz to heavy opera, featuring soloists, choristers, duos, and beautifully arranged orchestrations. I like this program best of all. Today is really a beautiful between winter and spring day. The sun is shining and there's a slight breeze blowing. And guess what? Instead of going for a walk, I went upstairs and napped for two hours. It was 4.30 p.m. when Mom awakened me to feed Michael in. Then came our dinner, and we were just completing the dishes when the nuns came to chat with Mom. After putting the baby to bed, Rosalie and I walked to town, mailed letters, and then to the movies. Saw Myrna Loy and William Powell in The Thin Man Comes Home. Good entertainment, but nothing more. Due to the midnight curfew which went into effect last Monday, the town is dark and as dead as can be. The early closing of all nightclubs is being repeated all over the nation as the government's advice is to save fuel, manpower, and transportation, possibly also to bring civilians living more in line with the grim realities of the war fronts. The Catholic basketball tournament is being held here today and yesterday. I saw the Gillets, all dressed in their best, leaving for the games. Catherine and Camille must always attend such attractions and are always together. One would never think that they have been hitched for 20 years, and everyone admires their togetherness, including myself, for it is a rare thing today with the majority of marriages. Always, your mics. The second reading, March 4th, Veronica mentions that due to the immediate curfew, which went into effect last Monday, the town is dark and as dead as can be. And she points out why. It was a government edict across the nation to save full manpower and transportation and to remind people of the grim realities of the front that the war was not over. Again, this is March 1945. We were still at war on both the European front and the Pacific front. In my father's readings, he thought the war might continue for another year or two. We just didn't know because nobody in March was giving up. Monday, March 5th, 1945. My dearest Mike, when I'm positive of not receiving mail, I always receive more than one. And so today, your February 21st, 22nd, and 23rd arrived. The negatives will be developed and forwarded immediately, both to you and Lieutenant Wiley's wife. Maybe tomorrow's letter will include her address. Do you recall the officer to whom I had sent the picture of the swimming party taken at New Guinea? 
I never did learn whether they had arrived safely. Have you heard otherwise? With the arrival of the Christmas package labeled from Michaelin and Rosalie, you are still missing one other parcel all in all. We mailed 12 boxes, seven to you, five to Junior. The seventh package should arrive in time, for it was larger and more securely tied than the small can of ink which was mailed last July. Was the can of ink crushed? I had given up all hopes of you ever receiving it intact. Now, it could be that Rosalie is trying to steal your heart. Gosh only knows what she is up to when I'm not looking. From now on, you can call me Sherlock. Peter, or Pierre, was Abelard's Christian name. It seems to me Abelard and Eloise were united by a secret marriage. He was about 40 years of age, which Eloise afterward denied from fear of obstructing Abelard's progress in the church, no married man being permitted to enter the priesthood. Eloise's relatives took a brutal revenge by breaking into Abelard's apartment and mutilating him in a manner that made him ineligible for a high place in the church. He then entered a ministry in deep humiliation and Eloise became a nun. He later founded a chapel and hermitage and after becoming an abbot, gave the hermitage to Eloise and her sisterhood for an abode. I recall the story rather clearly, for it impressed me. Likewise did Cyrano de Bergerac. And so, Peter, I was just being informal. Seems odd or coincidental that you misplaced your negatives, for I, too, had misplaced a few about the same date. They were found slipped behind the buffet door, down into Mom's accumulation of sewing equipment. It was a beautiful day today, and I took a walk with Michaelin, met Mrs. Gillett, and we walked home together. Always your mics. On a third reading this evening from... March 5th, 1945. Veronica writes to Michael in regards to the unrequited love story of Abelard and Heloise, a priest and a nun who were in love but could not marry, could not consummate their relationship. Well, to bring a 50-year-old letter between a married couple to the modern era and a very popular television series called The Sopranos, and season four, episode 12, is entitled Eloise, and it continues a bit into some other episode, where Carmela Soprano is feeling a bit randy, and she's making eyes at one of Tony's bodyguards, at her priest, and at a high school counselor, one of which she has an affair with. Some of the flirtations are, in fact, unrequited love affairs, but one of them is not. And I will leave that up to you to rewatch The Sopranos and figure out which one it is. On our next installment of Letters of My Old Man, we're going to read a selection of letters that encircle the globe. They start in Clarksburg, West Virginia. They go to the Pacific Northwest and the Aleutians. They end up going over to the Philippines and Leyte Gulf. And then they end up in San Remo in Northern Italy, all amongst immediate families and first cousins. You've been listening to Letters from My Old Man, hosted by Lawrence Sanji. 
Veronica's Letters, read by Trish Wiskowski, produced by Jason Rude, and distributed by History Bridge Productions. For more information, check out HistoryBridge.net. That's HistoryBridge.net.